growth mindset is a get, is, is a big piece of it. Because listen, mm. we're living in a world now where information is coming out faster than it ever has. And that speed yeah. is going to go up, not down. So if you mm-hmm. can't take in new information and say, wait, based on what I know now, does it change what I thought a year or two ago? Is my model still valid? Do I need to modify the way I've been presenting thought leadership? Right now, everybody's chat GPT, AI, et cetera. Okay, that's cool. The real question around that is, how can you use that as a tool, as a thought leader, to make your work better? Not to replace you, but how do you master that tool or at least have a, a fundamental understanding of it to help you with your research, to test hypotheses that you have, to test theories that you have. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Shahid Dharani. Today we have with us Peter Winnick. Peter is the founder and CEO of Thought Leadership Leverage, a company that helps thought leaders, authors, consultants, and speakers monetize and scale their content and products. Welcome to our show, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Shahid. It's my pleasure. I always like to find out what inspired this movement, how you're helping others achieve their goals. What inspired you to get into this? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different inspiration over the years. One being, it's something I've always loved and been passionate about, thought leadership, but it wasn't always called that. Back when I was starting my career, it was called being a nerd and just reading a lot of stuff and taking in information. (laughs) Thought leader sounds a little more highfalutin than that. So there's the, that piece of it. And then there's the entrepreneurial challenge that every thought leader faces, which is who's my market? What's my business? How do I differentiate from my competition? Where are the opportunities? How can I be agile and pivot quickly to present my work to the folks that will apply the most value to it and be innovative and create a business that's viable and sustainable? So I wind up doing that for lots and lots of clients every day, figuring those things out. Hmm. And you work with a diverse range of professionals, right? From best-selling authors, CEOs. Are there any common challenges or pain points that you come across? Oh, sure. So the although the client base is diverse, like you said, it could be academics, authors, speakers, uh-huh. uh, 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 keynoters, whatever the case may be. Some of the common, I would say the most common thread, if you will, is that there is no MBA in thought leadership, right? So if I were to go to, I don't know, a controller in a company or a coder in another company, there's an expectation about level of skills, level of training, background that they have. How did they all get here? And in thought leadership, it's not necessarily direct path. And what drives most thought leaders is not so much the money, not that they're not financially driven, many are, but they love to create stuff. They love to research. They love to polish things. They love to take ideas and turn them into something relevant. And they spend more time doing that than they do thinking about what's the business opportunity. For mo- and I'm talking in generalities here. There are some that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. both. But for most of the time, it's more that intrinsic motiv- motivation. It's more that problem solving. It's more that, ooh, I want to polish the idea and do this, that, and the other thing with it versus a classic or traditional entrepreneur, if there is such a thing, is more market 
centered. Ooh, where's the opportunity? What's the gap in the marketplace? Where can I go in and find my fortune? Because somebody there's market share to be had. Mm, yeah. And I, I feel also is the impact they want to make on people's lives and the legacy they want to leave through this medium. Yeah. I think the impact and the legacy, there's three things in my mind that drive thought leaders. There's income, right? There's ego, and then there's impact. And none of those are right or wrong. It's what the right sort of pie chart of that is for each of them at a moment in time. So some are fortunate to have made or already succeeded in, in, in their careers or in business or gone public or been CEOs or whatever. And the thought leadership is really more about passion and impact and legacy. For others, they want the thought leadership that they develop and, and deploy and curate to be the thing that they make a living with. So they've got to focus on that income early on and then ultimately segue into the impact. Because you can't just strictly focus on impact and legacy unless you have a sustainable business. Mm. Or, or assets that you have where you don't have to worry about the revenue. If you've already made your fortune, then this is a good mm -hmm. thing to so can, can you share how you help with the revenue side? If you meet a thought leader that you're considering to bring on as a client, what are the steps? How do you help them? Yeah. So great question. The first thing that we do with every client is develop a strategy. And then we say, why? Everybody wants to go tactical. Everybody wants to know, what can I do on social media? What I want to build an e-learning program. And we say, hold on, time mm. out. We have to build a viable strategy because most thought leaders either never did that, they're operating from an antiquated one, or they're operating from a broken one. So our first step in the process for any thought leader is let's get clear and let's develop a strategy. And that's a process that we've developed over 15 years. It takes us about six weeks to do. And on the other side mm -hmm. of that, without getting into the, the minutiae there, in essence, what they have is clarity. And once you have clarity as an entrepreneur, as a thought mm -hmm. leader, you can now effectively prioritize what could I do, would I do, should I do? Because there's a tendency for really passionate folks that love what they do to just their knee-jerk reaction to everything is yes. And, mm -hmm. and oftentimes that means they've got far too many plates spinning in the air. They might be fun. They might be engaging. They might be interesting, et cetera but they aren't necessarily getting the traction that they need as a business. So a viable strategy identifies who the market is, where the opportunities are, what the product roadmap is, what the business models are. It speaks to the goals of the thought leader, intrinsic income, exit, all those things. Similar to entrepreneurship, if someone was going into business. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. So if you and I, Shahid, were to sit around today and say, let's open up a vegan vegan brownie shop in my town. Like if we just came up with that idea, yeah. be, be, being entrepreneurs, we'd say, okay, what's our competitive advantage? What's our, are we going to go high end? Or are we going to go low end? What is the brand mm -hmm. going to look like? Is it going to be fun? Is it going to be like, we're going to ask all these questions. What's the competitive marketplace? Uh Oh, there's three other vegan brownie places in town. Maybe that's a bad idea. Thought leaders typically don't do that because they don't think of it as there are competitors. What's my competitive advantage? What is my differentiation? But quite frankly, you must. Th th mm. There's a dime a dozen out there in most subject areas. Mm. So do you feel anyone can become a thought leader or is there some kind of prerequisites? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that many social media platforms and things that you read and stuff make it seem as if anyone can. And I think that's just completely and utterly untrue. 
Like, can anyone There's be brought of it going on, especially since yeah. COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think that's for lots of reasons. Can you give us a, a couple of ones that, that come to mind? Yeah, I, th I think thought leadership comes from lots of different places. It could come, if you think of it as a continuum, it could come from academia, where people research the heck out of something to the 11th decimal point. It may not actually survive the real world, but at least they've got a, a solid basis and a solid foundation based on research on why what they believe to be so is so, right? Then you have another end of the continuum where it might come from life experience. Hey, I've been an executive at a company and this is my perspective on what it takes to build a resilient team based on 30 years of doing it. So I'm going to document that. I think it's really a matter of, is it teachable? Is it true? Is it replicatable? Thought leadership is not charisma, right? So when you think about what are the things that make, for example, a great keynote speaker, a lot of that is energy, theatrics, charisma. What does it take to make a great thought leader? Energy and charisma, that's lovely. It's a nice to have. There's nothing wrong with that. We'd all rather listen to someone with some charisma than not, right? But is what you say true? Does it hold up, right? If I tell you these are the four things that you need to do in order to build resiliency in your organization, and they work sometimes, but not all the time, that's not thought leadership. That's an opinion, right? So the mm. other piece is how can you break it down into the smallest sort of molecular pieces so that it can be taught so that it can be used to develop capabilities in individuals, in teams, and at organizations. Can you share some key habits that successful thought leaders have or possess? Yeah, totally. So they're in insanely curious about so many different things, not just their lane. Part of the biggest challenge is, even though they might be an expert on creativity or innovation, they're really fascinated and curious about so many other things in life, which is great. They are lifelong learners. They're consuming information at, at a pace like no other. They're reading, they're podcasts, they're constantly taking it in. They're open to possibilities and open to having their thinking questioned. And then the other is they're gritty, they're hardworking, they're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and get it done. Well, how about mindset? That's a major component. Yeah, I think the lifelong learning, the growth mindset is a, get, is, is a big piece of it because listen, mm. we're living in a world now where information's coming at us faster than it ever has. And that speed yeah. is going to go up, not down. So if you mm -hmm. can't take in new information and say, wait, based on what I know now, does it change what I thought a year or two ago? Does it, is, is my model still valid? Do I need to modify the way I've been presenting thought leadership? Right now, everybody's chat GPT, AI, et cetera. Okay, that's cool. The real question around that is, how can you use that as a tool, as a thought leader, to make your work better? Not to replace you, not to all this, but how do you master that tool or at least have a, a fundamental understanding of it to help you with your research, to test hypotheses that you have, to test theories that you have? Great. Uh, when it comes to monetization, that's an exciting topic. Where do they go wrong the most? I don't know if I would call it go wrong or just not have an understanding of where value gets assigned, right? So first mm -hmm. off, you have to decide which markets you want to be in. We do not work in the direct-to-consumer market, the B2C market. That's primarily self-help, diet, get-rich-quick, yeah. whatever. A lot of thought leaders want to play there, and I hate the business model for most. 
like upwards of 95% because you have an unknown customer acquisition cost, which means you need a massive marketing budget. You have an unknown lifetime value of a client and you have a massive amount of churn. Those are three variables that just, I don't like. Right? So the other business models are that we focus on is really B2B. So what happens in B2B, unless you've been in the uh, B2B or the enterprise side from a sales perspective, you don't know how it works and where they assign value. So you default to, ooh, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to sell a lot of books. Almost virtually nobody makes any sort of real money in terms of the time they invest and the dollars they get out directly from book sales, meaning number of units sold times some revenue per unit, right? It's just right. Marketing. Just to get the name out. Yeah. But the question is, if you're going to put a book out, whether that's self-published or published through traditional house, et cetera, do you have everything in order so that when the subset of people that read your book and like your stuff go, ooh, tell me more, wow, you're uniquely qualified to help me and my organization solve X problem. What does that look like? And this is really the key thing where we spend a lot of our time, Shahed, is lots of clients come to us and they have a practice. What's a practice? They need to be in the room or in the Zoom for the ideas to be exchanged and therefore the dollars to be exchanged. So that could be in the format of an advisor, a coach, a consultant, a keynote speaker. These are all great businesses. I'm not saying they're bad businesses, but if you're not in the room or in the Zoom, you can't exchange ideas, you can't exchange dollars. So that's a limiting constraint. We transform our clients from having a practice to having a business. How do I define the difference? The difference is a business has assets and those assets are being monetized irregardless of what the founder, the CEO, the author is doing that day. How do you do that? You're licensing your intellectual property organizations to integrate into their programs. You're creating derivatives that are not dependent on you as the delivery vehicle, such as assessment tools, video-based training, membership organizations, et cetera. So I think it's the same ideas that live in a book for 25 bucks that a Fortune 1000 will spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to license to integrate into their programs. But more people will talk about the, the trials and tribulations of writing a book and not understand how to license that content into an organization or an enterprise. Totally different game, not quite as sexy, not quite as fun, but incredibly profitable if you can figure it mm. out. Mm, good point. Yeah, that's great. If there's someone in the audience that may be considering thought leadership, are there any kind of recommendations that you could share that they could do a self-analysis or ask some specific questions to see if they're a good fit to continue on that journey? Yeah, that's a good question. It's sometimes it's hard to talk thought leaders or aspiring thought leaders out of going down that path. And I would say that's true with entrepreneurs too, right? They tend to be stubborn. Yeah, the data yeah. tells me I should, shouldn't open that vegan brownie shop, but I just love vegan brownies and damn it, I'm going to be vegan. <laughs> and those are the stories that we read of the hero that went against yeah. the odds and did it, right? They never tell you the story of the guy that went broke and his, put his 401k into a stupid idea and is now driving Uber to make up for that loss, right? So I would yeah. say for, for thought leaders, the things to start thinking about is before you get into the content, before you get into the writing, before you get into the research, who benefits the most from this? And you have to answer that with the highest level of specificity that you can. Who's your market, right? Who's your competition? How do they consume content? And by consume, I don't mean watching you know, YouTube videos that you don't pay for. Where do they put their money? 
Where do they invest in? What formats, what modalities, what derivatives of your work will they pay for it? What is your sales and marketing and distribution play? Because a lot of people, they spend years developing amazing ideas. And then they think, oh, the publisher is going to get it to market. Or if I just do a couple of blogs on LinkedIn or like whatever, you have to be really disciplined around the sales, the marketing, the distribution side. And in fact, post the strategic work that we do with our clients, 80% of the work that we do is on that side of the house. Our clients don't come to us and say, hey, I don't have an idea. Can you help me develop an idea? Sorry, can't do that. We can help you polish. Makes we sense. Can validate it. But we don't start with a blank slate. Right? What we can do a really kick-ass job at is coming up with the product roadmap, the sales, the marketing, the distribution, developing marketing so that you have a consistent business. It doesn't look like your P&L doesn't look like the EKG of a coronary victim. Hmm. Are you able to share any of the clients that you work with? I think the best thing is to, for folks to check out our site and go to the testimonials. There's hundreds of them. You'll see there. Okay. And what what is the difference? For example, someone that wants to get into public speaking and thought leadership. Public speaking is one way that some thought leaders, many thought leaders monetize uh, what they do and get the exposure for what they do. So lots uh -huh. of people are attracted to public speaking because it's sexy. Or Even entrepreneurs. Friends, yeah. Yeah. Or their friends said, oh, hey, you're a great, you're a great speaker. You should go out and <laughs> get oh, on man. stage. <laughs> when, when you give it first one, everybody loves it and blah, 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 blah. So it is a business. And again, what is your differentiation? The world doesn't need another leadership speaker. What do you have to say? And the way that you say it to what audience gives you a competitive advantage? Because there's two different pieces here. Very few people are good at public speaking. In fact, people fear public speaking more than death right? mm, <laughs> when you look at the data. Yeah. So just because you're good at it, now you're in a very small minority of people that have that skill or have developed that capability or it's just innate to them. Awesome. The next thing you need to do is figure out, do you know how to sell market and, and get on the stage? When I, I look at the speaking business similar to Real estate agents, 80% of real estate agents don't make a living selling real estate. 80% of people that pretend to be keynote speakers don't make a living keynote speaking. They might do it once or twice a year or love it or whatever, but to really do it and do it well, it's a business. And you have to integrate the strategy into that because it shouldn't be the business. It should be part of the business. It shouldn't be the extent of a relationship you have with the client. It should be the opening act. The greatest thing about keynote speaking is quite frankly, it's paid business development. Someone's paying you a ton of money, giving you stage time or, or webinar time, whatever, for 45 minutes or an hour to do your thing. And if you can't get them and fall in love with you and want more, not necessarily of you as a keynoter, but of the other things that you have, then your model is broken. Yeah. It could be a wonderful way to grow your business uh, if it's done yeah. right. The other thing is it doesn't, most people, when they talk about keynote speaking, they're assuming it's for money, right? And that's great. Getting paid to speak is an awesome thing. You can do mm -hmm. it, I call it strategically, where if somebody else, an organization, association, whatever, has gotten a room together of your buyers, and all you've got to do is get up there for a half or an hour and do your thing, and you don't, and you don't acquire net new clients from that, think about that. So I, I would think for entrepreneurs, where are the two or three places that if you spoke, somebody else is filling the room with potential buyers that you should pay them <laughs> for, for the opportunity. Yes. 
And then there are other, the paid speaking business is a totally different business model. Very good, Peter. Can you share with us what you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in life? Oh, wow. That, that requires some introspection and self-awareness. Yes, please. Um, I, I, Take I your time. It's, I think it's problem solving. I think it's creativity. I think it's passion. And I think it's probably, I have a healthy ego. Some would say more than healthy, but it's really easy for me to go, okay, the thing I thought that was a great idea a month or two months ago, it's clearly not. Let's try something else. You want to be as an entrepreneur, stubborn with an asterisk, stubborn until you're mm. not. And then you realize mm. you, you, you need to pivot and change. That, that'll be more passion than ego then, right? Yeah, I yeah, I think so. You've yeah. got to have you can hear in your voice too, right? You have that passion. And if you're able to see that there's an adjustment that can be made, that's something that you're driven by passion. It's great. Good. great so share. next time tell someone, someone tells me I'm an egomaniac, I will just tell them no, no my friend Chad, he said I'm no, I'm a look, Yeah, no, it's great having you today, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on our show. If you have any final words, please go ahead. Yeah, my only final words would be if you're thinking about being a thought leader, don't just think about it. Think about it with the same level of scrutiny and analytics and strategy as you would if you were starting any other business. Although it's different, there are still some basic business fundamentals that you need to crack the code on. Don't just dive in because it's fun and you love the thinking part of it. You have to be you have to look at the whole piece. Because plenty of great entrepreneurs can do the thing, whatever the thing is, but if they can't sell it and market it, that's what separates the good from the great entrepreneurs. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for coming on our show today, Peter. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Audience, thank you for joining us once again. Take a look at uh, Peter's information. If you're looking to um, receive some help, please get in touch and we'll see you next time. Thank you.